Good morning, everybody. I can hear that good. <laughs> um, you know, this is Father's Day, and the, the best gift that the best Father's Day gift I ever had was my daughters flew my dad in to see me this week, and we're having a great time. We went jet skiing yesterday. I had my dad out on the water jet skiing. That was a lot of fun, and he's going to be here till Tuesday. Normally, I start with kind of a joke on on um, uh, before the message, but I think I'll just tell you a story because sometimes real life is funnier than than jokes. But uh, I, I was thinking about a time when when we were kids and my dad was driving us through town, and uh, back in, back in those days, young people. We didn't have minivans. We had something called station wagons. Anyone ever have a station wagon? Oh, yeah. So we had a station wagon, and uh, the back window would roll down of that station wagon, and we had, my dad had four kids, and we would like to hang our heads out of the window in the back. But this one particular time, apparently that's happened before, but anyway, so... Uh, not, not only did it was a head hanging out, but my brother Paul was actually, not only his head was hanging out, but he was sitting on the gate with his feet on the bumper and his head out. I mean, just very easily could have fallen out. It could have been bad news going through town. When suddenly we heard a siren and uh, a police officer pulled us over and uh, he, was, he was hot. I mean, he was mad. He got out of the car. He came up to my dad's window very quickly. His face was beet red. And he said to my father, he said, Do you know that I could have you arrested for willful and or wanton disregard for human life? He said, Your son's hanging out the back of that out of the back of that car and he could get killed. Didn't you see him out your rear view window? And that time my brother Paul, trying to be helpful, shouted back. He doesn't have a rear view mirror. <laughs> True story. True story. Oh, man. So um, we have been going through uh, the book of James. And uh, last week we talked about hearing and doing the word of God. And we're in now our third um, uh, in that series. And just a, a little tidbit about James. I don't think I've shared with you yet. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, we say half-brother because Jesus was the son of Mary and of the Holy Spirit, but, but James would have been the son of Mary and Joseph. And so he was literally Jesus' half-brother. Now, he didn't come to faith until after the resurrection, which I kind of understand because how many is going to follow your brother as Jesus, the Son of God? It's just not going to happen, you know, unless you resurrect from the dead and then maybe. But so it wasn't after, until after the resurrection uh, that James uh, came to faith. And he writes this book, which is kind of a hard-hitting, in-your-face, practical living kind of book. And uh, we're going to start on chapter 2 today. Uh, where and the, the, the topic that we're studying is the topic of favoritism. So um, I'll begin reading verse 1. And if you would, one more time, just in honor of the reading of God's word, if you wouldn't mind standing one more time. James says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example... 
Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you, can't, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Shall we pray? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless it to our ears. And more importantly, Lord, I just pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to continue reading through verse 11, but I just wanted to give you a little side right here. That the first converts to Christianity were not the upper crust. They were not the powerful people. It was often the servants that were coming to faith originally. Um, And as time went on, um, they were blessed. By the way, did, did you know that it's, it, it's a fact that when the gospel comes to an area, there tends to be, over time, an economic bump in that area? Uh, it happened big time in South Korea when the gospel came to South Korea. Not only was there a revival that swept through that nation, but there was also an economic, uh, as people started putting God's principles uh, into place, there, there, there's a natural bump that comes uh, economically uh, when, when they started living that way. So Christianity's now been around long enough where people are beginning, you know, it's now middle class and wealthier people are starting to come into the faith. And some of these servants were, were lifting up and raising up through the ranks. And so what was happening is these uh, rich people were coming in. They were showing them special favors. But uh, the scripture says, Remember, dear brothers, that few of you who are wise in the world are powerful or wealthy or were wealthy when God called you, 1 Corinthians one twenty six. In other words, there weren't very many wealthy at the very beginning. Don't forget where you came from is what he's saying. And so I'm going to continue reading here in, uh, in uh, chapter 2. But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. James is in your face. You're living in sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. For, for the same God who said you must not commit adultery said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but don't commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So James is teaching about judging people, discriminating against people, categorizing people. Are, are you aware that when we categorize people, we can just dismiss them? You know, if I can just say that all such and such people are this way, I can do that, I can just dismiss you. Just by categorizing you, prejudging you, discriminating against you. This story was riveting uh, to me for several reasons. One is the chilling reminder of even us as a nation, how divided we are as a nation. Would anyone agree with me that right now in our history, we are probably more divided than at any other time that you can remember in history? I, I mean, it's like you pick your news now based on what side you fall on, You don't just watch the news, but we are in a very, very divided and a very partisan 
nation right now. And I think James' words are so appropriate for today. Uh, another reason that this interests me is as recent as the news that happened this week. We woke up this week to find out that a, a man had gone to a baseball practice. A, who knew that the Republicans had a baseball team until we heard this news story, you know? He went to a Republican baseball practice, practicing for... A lot of us just learned this this year, that every year that the Democrats play the Republicans in baseball... And they were up really early practicing before work. And this guy comes and he uh, begins shooting. Uh, and I think he shot five people. And he shot the third in command for the uh, House of Representatives who happened to be standing on second base. That story was interesting to me because it kind of underlines how divided we are as a nation. But it had another local interest to me in that the guy was from southern Illinois where I came from. James Hodgkinson, the guy, was from Belleville, Illinois, which is maybe only an hour or so uh, from Murfreesboro, uh, where I used to pastor. But not only that, he would write his Republican congressman letters about how he would want him to vote. And that congressman's name is a guy named Mike Bost, who I know very well, who I'm friends with, whose wife used to cut my hair, whose kids went to our Christian school. I mean, we had we had lots of we had lots of cons. So, so I'm watching Mike Bost on Fox News, this guy I know from my town uh, who this guy has been writing letters to and saying, you better, you, know, you better vote this way or else. And so I was really struck with this story, and I went to work the other day, and there were about five of my colleagues that were sitting in a waiting room that morning um, and I said, wasn't that terrible what happened in Washington, D.C. this morning? And, and a guy I consider my friend, immediately his face turned beet red, and you could see a vein coming out on his neck, and he said, well, what would you expect from a baby-killing Democrat? And his face got beat red, and he got so angry. And he said, I don't care how any of the rest of you voted. He said, what would you expect if you're willing to do all that? Why wouldn't you take a gun and go start shooting? And I thought to myself, the very thing that you're doing is the very thing that this guy was doing. This guy's Facebook post was filled with hatred toward Republicans, toward Donald Trump, and, and he was just filled with, with hatred. And, 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 and even Mike Boss said, I, I never saw this coming from this kind of guy. I mean, I had interactions with him, but I didn't think he would go out and shoot people. And the level of anger in our country is just kind of overwhelming. And so we have this idea, or we have this tendency in our society where if I can label you as a baby-killing whatever Democrat, and of course he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, what else would we expect, right? 
I mean, that's sort of the attitude. Or if we can say, oh, he's a, he's a Trump guy, those, they're, not worth, they're not worth living. And we can dismiss people, and we, we dismiss people by labeling people, and suddenly we don't have to deal with people if we can discriminate, if we can prejudge, if we can label. And so this was happening in James' day. Rich people are this way. Poor people are this way. He's just giving them an example of what it's like to label or discriminate or to judge. So what do we do, church? What do we do, church, to, to, to not fall into this partisan trap? And, and, and I think, you know, sometimes we think, well, well then the, the solution is to be just somewhere in the middle, to be a moderate. And that's not even what, I'm not arguing for being moderate today. I'm saying that there's another way of looking at life that's not political, but it's, but it's spiritual. And, and, and James is talking about, about how we do this. And so the number one thing, if you're taking notes today, the number thing, one thing that we've got to do, if we're not going to show favoritism and we're, going to, and we're going to do it God's way, is number one, we've got to value people. We've got to value people. Philippians 2.3 says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Think of others as better than yourselves. That, that whoever we meet, that we look at them and we think of them. This would be a great attitude to help us if we are going to learn how not to be discriminatory, if we're not going to be prejudiced, but that I'm going to look at you and I'm going to think of you as better than myself. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord doesn't look at the way things the way that, that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. One of the great parables of Jesus that, that many of us know is, is he tells actually three in a row, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves 99 sheep and he goes out and he looks for the one lost sheep. In the parable of the lost coin, she's got 10 silver coins and she loses one of them and she goes and sweeps her house until she finds that one lost coin. And then in the parable of the lost son, the father gives away his inheritance to his son who goes out and squanders it in wild living and the father waits for that son to return. And in and, and each of those stories, it ends very, very interestingly where it says, uh, if, if this shepherd would rejoice when the sheep comes home, how much more does the father in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to repentance. If this woman thought that this coin was so valuable, how much more does the Lord think that you're valuable? If this son cared so much, if this father cared so much for his son that he stood out at the side of his field waiting for that son to return, how much more valuable are you than even that son to that father? Let me just tell you something. You need to hear this today. You've, you are valuable. You matter to God. You're important. And you matter to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're valuable. You're valuable, amen. 
And, and, and I think it's really important to say, you are valuable in your present condition. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You are valuable in your present condition. Some of you are trying to get yourself into a place where you can present yourself in a way that you might be valuable to God. I just want to say to somebody, no matter what you find yourself in today or what shape you find yourself in or what condition you find yourself in, you are valuable to God and you should be valuable to us. You matter. You matter. You matter to God. And you matter to us. And not only will I say that you're valuable in your present condition, your history also has no impact on your value. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, maybe you're sitting here and you feel like you're damaged goods this morning. I came to tell you, you are just as valuable today as the day that you were born. And that's extremely valuable. The scripture says he knows every hair on your head and he numbers them. And that job has gotten easier for God in my case. But anyway, uh, anyway, some of you he has to work at it, not so much at it. But people are valuable to God. So we've got to we've got to value people. Poor people, rich people, white people, black people, police officers, Republicans, and even Bernie Sanders people. I'm just saying. Everybody's valuable. Everybody's valuable. The second thing that we've got to do, church, is we just have to accept people. Accept people. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Do you know what it means to accept someone? If you accept a package at your house, what do you do? You receive that package. I receive it. I welcome it. I want to say as a church that our church has to be known as accepting people, period. Jesus accepted the woman taken in adultery. Jesus accepted a demonia, a guy that was with a demon who was, who was wrapped in chains and cutting himself. Jesus accepted that person. We, church, have to accept people, period. My wife got a phone call this week on the church line. And the guy said, what do you guys believe about homosexuality? I don't like that question. Can I, just, can I just be frank with you this morning? You know I will be. More and more, I, I, I'm not against things. I'm for things. I, I'm for God's way of doing things. I'm for the Bible way. And, and so if you're worried about me, I'm for the biblical model of marriage and all of that. But I'm not against anybody. We accept liars at this church. 
My dad said, thank God. <laughs> we just accept people, just, just period. We just accept people. And so the guy wanted to know where we stood. And, and then he said, would you come down with us to protest at the gay pride rally this Saturday? I was proud of my wife. She said, no, I don't think we'll be there. Don't think we'll be down there protesting. And the guy said, well, if Jesus were here, don't you think he would be down there protesting gay pride? I don't think he would. You know why? Because Jesus was invited to be a protester at an anti-adultery rally one time where they had a woman that was taken in adultery, caught in the act, and they wanted Jesus to hold up a sign with them and say, shouldn't this woman be stoned? And Jesus said, here's another plan. How about let's see if we can deliver her? How about let's see if we can forgive her? How about let's see if we can give this woman hope? How about let's see if we can give this woman help? Hey, folks, wouldn't it be great if the church was in the help, hope, forgiveness, loving, help business? And letting the Holy Spirit do his work rather than us holding signs in the parade. I just... It just kinda it just kinda grabs me that, that we gotta get out of the parades, folks. Everyone's wanting us to go to a parade these days. You know it? Everyone wants us to march in their parade. And in spite of all of the parades going on, there's gotta be some people that just accept people. And, and so here's what I say about our church. Is your church a welcoming church? Absolutely. We're welcoming and transforming. Here's what that means. That means we welcome everybody. And let's pray that none of us stay the way that we were when we came. We came just as we are. Hopefully we won't leave just as we were. But I don't know about you. God's still working on me. And I haven't arrived yet. And, And I need a church where there's hope and there's help. And there's forgiveness and there's, and there's deliverance. And I want to be a part of that kind of church that just accepts people, period. Is that okay? Yes. And the nice thing about pastoring a small church is if half of you leave, it's okay. All right. I have, I have less to lose, all right? You pastor a mega church, you can't say that kind of stuff, you know? But I'm just going to say it this morning. How about let's just be a church that accepts people, period. Amen. Amen. A Jesus kind of church. She, I, I, I think a lot of times, Gayla, what you said, she's trying to put a tag on our church. We're just kind of a Jesus church. I want to be a Jesus church when it comes to this kind of stuff. Jesus wasn't pro-adultery. He was just, he was just honest enough to know that Basically, what he said was, okay, you want to have a parade? Let's have a parade for your sin, too. Uh, Pick up a stone. The one that has no sin 
cast the first stone. And Jesus got down in the sand and he wrote something. And a lot of people think he was writing down maybe some of the stuff they were doing. Because whatever he was writing down in the sand, they said, I got no stones to throw. And they walked away. And I think it's really interesting. It said they left from the oldest to the youngest. The old guys left first. The old guys put their stones down first. Meaning to me that the old people had a little bit more awareness. They were a little less filled with uh, delusions of grandeur about their own holiness. And they realized the longer we live, how many know, the longer we live, the more we realize that without God, we're nothing. Without God, we're nothing. I need, I need God. I'm not as, I'm not as, my dad has seen me through the years. I probably don't preach the way I did when I was 29 years old and had all the answers. But I've lived a little bit longer and I've, you know, I had to deal with some of my own stuff and my own life and all that. And, 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 and all of that is meant to make us more gracious to others. So just accept people. And then, I, I want to say this about acceptance. Acceptance does not mean approval. Just because you accept doesn't mean that you approve. We just need to accept people, period. Doesn't mean we approve. I remember in the early days of AIDS, I was a hospital chaplain. And I had just come out of seminary, and I knew all the right Bible answers about, about things. And, and I would, uh, and by the way, when AIDS first came out, it was horrible because we didn't know how to treat people with AIDS. And so it was like you had to walk in there with hazmat suits on. I mean, you just, you just walked in there with, you know, you looked like you were going into a spaceship, you know, when you, whenever you went into someone with AIDS. And, and uh, it was horrible. And I remember my very wise Southern Baptist boss, I went down to talk to him. I said, you know, these guys, I'm ministering to them, and I just find myself having compassion on them and wanting to pray for them and all that. And, and yet there's part of me that just wants to tell them the truth. And, and my boss said, you know, he said, don't you think they know that you're a Christian pastor and they probably understand how you feel about things? If you really want to blow the guys away, don't go in there and preach against them. Just go in there and love them. And, and actually, when other people are walking in their hazmat suits, go in there and touch them and pray with them and speak over them and let them know how much God loves them. And I'm telling you, God began to use me in, in, in powerful ways with, with those guys when that began to happen. Just because we accept people doesn't mean... I don't approve of myself all the time. <laughs> But I need acceptance. You know what I'm saying? All right. And then the third thing is we've got to forgive people. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you want to keep your heart clean, if you want to keep yourself free from prejudice, you've got to become a forgiver. We heard the powerful stories of the, the Amish uh, kids that were killed by that guy. And the Amish, the Amish parents came over to the guy's family who committed the murder and just said, we just want you to know we forgive you. And it's, it just astounded the world, you know, when a movie came out about it and all that. But, but that was so wise of them because by forgiving them, it freed the Amish family from those feelings that come in because this guy who walked in 
to the baseball practice the other day was filled with hatred and he was filled with venom because he had not learned how to accept and how to value and how to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, how many know it affects us? It affects us. So Jesus, to keep himself clear on the cross, just looks down and says, Every, you know, you're, you're, you're whipping me, you're, you're doing all this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. So forgive them. And then the next thing is that we've got to get close to people. I've been reading about this, this guy who, who, um, who, who shot these guys this week. They said he had become a loner. He was living in a van in the parking lot of the YMCA. He would go into the YMCA and use his computer and talk to a few people, but he was pretty much living in a van, and he had gotten isolated and filled with his own thoughts, and he had failed to get close to people. Scripture says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you uh, full, pressed down, shaken together, and make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be determined by the amount you give back. Um, and, and then it says, Do not judge others, and you will be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. When we isolate ourselves, it makes our lives out of balance. You know, one of the reasons that we believe so strongly in small groups at our church is because we believe we cannot be isolated. We've got to go through life with some people, and we've got, I've got to have some people that know my stuff, that know the things that I struggle with, that are praying with me about the things that are in my life. I've got to have some folks in my life that are close enough that we can share uh, with one another intimacy and intimately and we can't do life alone. How many know we're better together? Yes. We're better together. And iron sharpens iron. And we need each other. And so it's really important. As we start these small groups in the fall, I hope that every one of you will find a small group uh, to become a part of because we need desperately not just to come uh, to church on Sunday morning and isolate ourselves and turn on our favorite news channel where we can where we can hear from would we hear from only the people that think what we already believe? It makes us out of balance. We need to be with people of different races, different life experiences, different social classes. It's a place I think they call the church. And we need that. And then finally, be gracious toward others and focus on your own sin. Matthew 7 says, don't judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And then I love this. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye? And this is Phil's version. When you have a telephone pole hanging out your own eye. When, when you got a log in your own eye, why are you worrying about the speck that is in your friend's eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? So I would say be gracious toward others and focus on your own sin. 
um, St. Augustine wrote a book called The Confessions, and I had to read it in seminary. And I remember him just lamenting, lamenting over an apple he had climbed over his neighbor's fence and had stolen, and he reflected on what a huge offense it is and how terrible he felt about it. And it was a, I mean, he spent like a huge chapter in this book just dealing with his own sinfulness. I'm thinking, stealing an apple, I can do better than that. <clears throat> But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be good if we if we became experts in focusing on our own self? Remember we talked last week about and James that when I open the, the word it, it it's a mirror. And I look in the mirror, and when I look in, in the word and I see myself, I don't wanna I don't wanna come back. I don't wanna come back the same way that I left. Amen. So be gracious toward others and focus on your own sin.